2: This podcast of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, is sponsored by AAA Heating and Air. Attention homeowners, due to upcoming government regulations, the current energy efficiency ratings for
3: HVAC systems will change. Current inventory cannot be sold after December 31st. As the year 2023 starts, customers can expect to pay an average of 30% more for a new HVAC unit that will
2: meet the new government regulations. So what does this mean for you, the customer? There's no better time to purchase a new HVAC system. AAA Heating and Air must empty their warehouse to make room for the new systems. No deals will be turned. Down. With their 15-year parts and labor warranty, plus guaranteed financing, they have made it possible for anyone to get a new system. Call today and enjoy your new home comfort as quickly as tomorrow. But you can only get this
3: special deal by calling 803-677-1500. AAA Heating and Air wants to give you their best deal possible on a new HVAC unit, but you have to call today.
2: 803-677-1500. And tell them you heard about this deal on 1075 The Game's Gamecock Central Podcast. AAA Air when you need us. AAA Heating and Air.
4: It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Fireman with Pearson Fowler. This has been in the works for a while. We're really excited to
3: officially have the Gamecock Central Hour. Chris Clark. And J.J. has accepted an invite to the Senior
2: Bowl already, which is awesome. Uh, the recent Senior Bowl. And Wes Mitchell. Um, I think he's well above 200 in the, like the 210 range. Uh, um, a dude in the weight room, too, like from a strength standpoint.
4: On the home, home of, of the, the Gamecocks. Gamecocks.
0: 107.5 The Game game a minute after 11 o'clock on a tuesday morning and welcome into the gamecock central takeover hour here on 107.5 the game pearson fowler west mitchell chris clark here with you to talk more carolina texas a&m ahead of shane beamer's weekly press conference he will answer some questions probably have some thoughts on carolina's 30-24 win over the aggies the first in program history and then i know shane beamer and co will have already turned the page to Missouri, which we will do tomorrow. So if you guys have any more residual thoughts from the Carolina-Texas A&M game, today is your last day to get those thoughts in on the text line, on the Love Chevy phone line, on Twitter, however you guys want to be a part of the show. Before we dig in and I get some of Wes and Chris's residual thoughts from the game, I want to give you guys a chance to win some money.
4: It's time for your chance to win $100 and qualify for the $25,000 grand prize in our $25,000 signing bonus contest. Just text the following national keyword to 95819. Your national keyword to text
0: is check C-Z-E-C-H. No, but all these homophones, man, it's just regular check. Just check. Come on.
4: Text that national keyword to 95819. Standard text messaging rates may apply. Please don't text and drive. The $25,000
0: signing bonus contest on 107.5 The Game. Wes, Chris, how's it going? What's going on? Happy Tuesday. You're doing Happy all right? Tuesday. Good. Very good. Good. Do y'all usually rewatch the game Sunday or yesterday or today?
2: Um, For me, it entirely depends on like what time the game was. And um, a lot of times it depends on if if it was a home game. At least for me, it ends up being later um, because there's recruiting stuff normally on mm-hmm. Sunday. Um, look, Chris handled like 85% of the recruiting stuff this time. I had family stuff going on. But um, normally I try to go ahead and get it over with on that Sunday, but it doesn't always work like that. I I wish I could give you some great,
3: like, make myself look good by being like, well, here's my routine. I go in, no, I I do not have one. Hmm.
0: So I listened to Dan Orlovsky do that. He was talking about his schedule because that dude's about the busiest person on the planet. he's like, wake up at, you know, five o'clock every morning, 430 on Mondays, you know, take a shower. I watch three games in the limo on the way over to the studio. And it's just like, they're just grinding tape constantly. He also has
2: somebody driving him
0: to the studio. <laughs> yeah, that, so that if, does if
2: I was watching the game um, coming to the studio, I would uh, get arrested. Yeah, because so, I <laughs> unless there's like odysals.
0: something that I'm dying to watch again, I I can't do it on Sunday. i like, I just watch this. I don't want to watch this again. Plus, I'm watching NFL most of the day anyway, so it's oh, usually Monday for me.
3: Mine, is, yeah, mine is normally even for road games mm-hmm. is normally on Monday. Yeah, Sunday, you know, other stuff going on or whatever. And so normally I'm finishing up on Monday and then I try to watch the next team that South Carolina is going to play Wednesday, finish up
2: Thursday. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I feel so much better about my life if I go ahead and have like knocked it out on Sunday because I feel a little ahead. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, the only game that I've watched on Sunday was Georgia State. One, because there were no NFL games. And two, because, like, the first couple games of the season, I try to pay, a, like, a really close attention to personnel groupings, just like pattern substitutions, things like that. And so I, I, I spend more time probably on those first couple games than the rest of them. Uh, I guess all this is setting up to say y'all have both broken down the tape and you come into the studio feeling dramatically <laughs> differently about your interpretation of the action Saturday night.
3: Uh, I would not say not that. Really. I know you said that tongue-in-cheek. I would not yep. say that, though. Um, so is it leftover take time? Are we getting yeah, the leftovers yeah. just out, just of out of the fridge? Yeah,
0: leftover take. Any, anyone that you feel like deserves a little more credit <laughs> than we gave Saturday or a little more blame or uh, just, just anything else that stuck well, out maybe that you didn't catch the first time.
3: Let me go super big picture, as I know we're trying to drill down a little bit more is the point, and I don't, I won't spend a lot of time on this. It kind of struck me this morning. It is our job to break down, like, all the good and bad aspects of the game, and why did this happen, and and what do we think of this, and that's good. We should do that, win or loss, every single game. Um, It did strike me, though, that, like, I'm going back to what Beamer said with, like, find some joy. Like, GameCop fans need to enjoy this, and I know Heath talked a lot about this on his show. I got to catch some of it yesterday afternoon. He made some great points, I thought, Heath Klein did. Enjoy this you're you're five and two you have a great opportunity to get bowl eligible you just beat a team you haven't beaten in eight years you just beat Kentucky before that that was a lot of fun you did that back to back you've won four straight games you're playing better markedly than you were early in the season the outlook's different and I don't think we have I mean last season had some a lot of highs and a lot of lows very lows that wasn't that long ago and it wasn't that long ago that there was a two win COVID season for South Carolina, so enjoy it. Like it's okay for us to talk about, yes, the offense could do this better, or this could be better on the team overall or talk about the overall outlook. But I do get a sense that like there's been a lot of complaining <laughs> for a team that is now five and two and has won four straight and just did what it did. So I think it's important to keep that perspective. That's difficult sometimes. Uh, that's a big picture thought. I've got more from the game, but I wanted to make sure I I got that in there.
0: I think that's fair. I I would also say at least for me, and I said this earlier, because somebody called in and you know was expressing some I had some fair you know criticisms of what happened on Saturday, and I was like, yeah, and I was like, but it's you know it's your job as a fan to enjoy. like It's my job to sit up here and be like, well, blah 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 blah. Like it's your job to just like have a great week <laughs> and just like I mean, <laughs> look, you're a fan, you can do whatever you want, but it it doesn't. That doesn't help you to kind of tie yourself into knots over the things that could have been. But I and I said this to you off the air earlier. I I think to me it speaks almost more to a confidence, which is weird because you're, you're complaining and it's like, well, blah blah blah. Like I had somebody text me after the game and was like, you know, that's like it's a, it's a pretty weird feeling, feeling like you escaped when you had an opportunity to step on their throat and like really just crush them. Um, and I, I think, again, like, it's worth evaluating why that didn't happen and what Carolina can do to make that happen in the future. But in general, it's like the fans think that the offense should be better, think that the defense should be better, which is good. You know, a couple of years ago, Carolina fans were expecting to lose every game by 30 points because they basically did. Now, there is an expect. It's like, oh, my gosh, like, you see what Juice can do, and you see, like, Jalen Brooks getting open, and you see that Marshawn Lloyds emerging as one of the better backs in the SEC – you see all these things and it's like why can't you just like score 45 points uh you know in a, in a game against a conference you know something like that it that that the fan base feels like that's possible to me seems like it's leading to the frustration and ultimately that's a better place to be than just expecting to lose every game by 30.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, they've obviously added talent um across the board on offense and then of course brought back a bunch of guys on the offensive line. You have experience there, so yeah, it's much better to ha- be having that conversation than just be feeling like, "Wow, there's there's no hope here for for this offense." And you know, last year obviously there was still a lot of heat on Marcus Satterfield, but um, you know, comparatively to what they have this year, um, it, it was going to be tough to to generate much offensively. I, I feel like, and you know, I, I look at this team, and and I I agree. I think it's a good thing that you have expectations. It's also a good thing to look back and say, you just beat a team you've never beaten before without playing your best game. And, you know, I I also think there's a little bit here of um, we get so caught up in offense and defense as being sort of what football is. And special teams is just sort of this third thing. A lot of times, unless you like really, really, love football, maybe that's even when you're taking a trip to the kitchen or the bathroom or something, and, you know, you don't even watch the the PAT or something like that. Um, I think sometimes when South Carolina wins games like they did on Saturday, um, it almost gets uh, – we're almost a little too negative on it because we don't give credit to the fact that it is now abs- – we were talking yesterday about what's a trend – it is absolutely a trend that South Carolina has been really good on special teams for the last season and a half.
0: They've made a big special teams play in every game this season, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I, I think uh, even the Georgia game.
0: Yeah, you had the which, fake punt. Yeah,
2: you had the fake punt, which hit against Georgia. So I, you know, I, I think it's worth pointing out that South Carolina, maybe most games, doesn't have to be quite as right. good in the other areas because they have um, put in the effort and they have the right guy running their special teams. Mm -hmm. And I, I was talking to a former player the other day and, you know, they even kind of acknowledged, Hey, lots of coaches do give you the, Oh yeah. Special teams is a third of the game. And they're like, Oh, we spent 10 minutes on, on punt team Mm -hmm. a week, basically, you know? So uh, this was, you know, a player under a different staff. So I, I think worth mentioning that these special teams are here to stay and they set a tone, not just for this game, but really for this entire season.
0: And I think most people feel like big special teams plays are fluky yes. because most teams don't emphasize it that much. So if you have a kick return, it's like, Oh, that's just because Debo's awesome. It's not because your special teams are great, but this is one of the rare cases like everywhere in the country, not just rare for the sec, rare cases where this is sustainable. Typically, special teams performance is a little more random. It's not as sustainable. It absolutely is for South Carolina. It was two block punts in the first game. It was the, uh, the, well, was there one in the Arkansas game? Do anything on special teams? Maybe that's the one. But really, I mean, it's, it's like Spencer Rowler hasn't even had a touchdown pass in every game. So it's like, when you talk about special teams being like that consistent, that you're really splitting hairs to like every single game, they, they make a play in every single game block punt, Kick return, fake punt, uh, you know, hitting all their field goals. What's weird is they've had more issues with their extra points this year than their field goals. I'm sure Pete Limbo's not happy about that, but that is a really good point because it is sustainable for South Carolina.
2: Yeah, it is. And I um, I think uh, we've seen the realization of, uh, you know, Beamer comes in, you think, well, there's going to be an emphasis on special teams. But let's be honest, we don't know. I, I never would have predicted that it was going to make this big of an impact because it really is pretty rare. So uh, I think it's it's fun for the fans, though. Like th- Those things, if you block a punt, if you return a kickoff or a touchdown, because you're not used to seeing it, maybe we should all get used to seeing it with this group, but because you're not used to seeing it, I feel like it provides an extra jolt to the crowd, mm-hmm. and it is so deflating to your opponent because your opponents even sometimes look at it like, um, oh, yeah, we're going to win this game on offense or defense. Mm-hmm. And then when you essentially, from their perspective, still a touchdown to start the game or still a possession because of a block punt. Um, I mean, it, it turned the Georgia State game yep. even. So I, I think uh, Well,
0: you even talked about the fan, the way that the fans treat special teams. It's you go to the bathroom early, you get a head start on, on some snacks, you flip over and see another game. Coaches and players feel that way, too. Special teams is largely perfunctory. It's like, all right, snap it. You're not going to rush the punter that hard. The punter's going to kick it. The returner's going to, you know, fair catch it. Here's a touchback. Here's an extra point. Like, for most people, it's an opportunity to take a playoff. When you're playing against South Carolina, you don't get those plays off because you have to be on, and you have to be focused on special teams, and that's typically not an opportunity to reset, and it's not like, oh, there's extra four plays of focus or why you lost the game, but it's just an added element of stress that you're putting on the other team that's unusual to prepare for in, in in modern college football.
3: Yeah, and I think one of the things that you can credit, you know, Shane Beamer and his staff for is um, how they've gotten the players to buy into special teams. I mean, I, I say this way too often, but every coach is going to get up in a press conference and talk about imp- how important special teams is. And, you know, it, in reality, it's not because they don't devote a lot of time to it. It's not like an integral part of what they're doing. Um, and it kind of reflects on the field. They just aren't very good on special teams. Um, South Carolina is, whether it's the small things or the bigger things. And, like, I look at Xavier Leggett's touchdown. I mean, here's a guy who had a really poor game against SC State. The coaches, you know, still believe in him and instill that confidence in him to, to put him back there as the return guy. You look at carry-on Joyner out there blocking. Trey Kenyon out there blocking. You look at Rashad Amos, you know, who hasn't gotten hardly any opportunities at running back. He's out there blocking the guys are playing hard you know Zach Pickens who's an NFL guy watching him on you know trying to block extra points out there mm-hmm. like they really the the South Carolina players enjoy special teams and have fully bought into it
0: 803 404 6100 a couple of big picture takeaways any other big picture takeaways that you did not uh, get to yesterday we would love to hear from you guys in the love Chevy phone line or the text line however you want to be a part of the show on a brain dump Tuesday you can let us know on Twitter as well, at Pearson Fowler, at West Mitchell, GC, at GC, Chris Clark. Uh, Chris, I know, has a few more granular observations from the game Saturday we'd like to dig into. I'm sure Wes has some too. So we'll continue unpacking Carolina, Texas A&M next.
4: It's the Gamecocks Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen. With Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell. On the home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The The Game. game.
0: Eleven twenty one Tuesday morning. and Welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Pearson West. Chris here with you in the Herndon Chevy studios of 107.5 The Game, talking Carolina A&M. Shane Beamer weekly press conference coming up a little bit later. Four straight for Carolina, trying to make it six straight, uh, excuse me, five straight and bowl eligible over Missouri. We'll start to talk about the Tigers tomorrow, and we'll hear some of uh, Shane Beamer's preview as well as some players' preview of Missouri coming up. A little bit later on this afternoon, um, we'll get back into some uh, Carolina Texas A&M thoughts. Let me get to two quick texts here in the text line. Um, unnamed texter says, "We should be saying Carolina's four and two, and stop all the complaining and overanalyzing." So I'm just curious, like what uh, that 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 was. It's kind of a a general takeaway, but I'm, I'm wondering what people think that would sound like as a three hour talk show.
2: Pretty boring, and also they're five and two, so.
0: Texter. Oh, what'd I say? <laughs> four and two. Four and two. That was just my. I, he, he typed five. I said four for oh, something. Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know <laughs> why. Well, I wanted to blame the Texter.
0: Yeah, so. you can blame the Texter. <laughs> um, and as far as the Arkansas game, Carolina did recover an onside kick in that game. So, Indeed. ding for another unnamed Texter. <laughs> But um, yeah, so block did punts against Georgia State.
3: Devil's advocate, I think they had like three tries in the Arkansas game
0: too. They did, right? Yeah, they did. They, they got one they of three. One. Which thirty-three percent? One of
3: three is better is a better percentage
2: than
0: I, I think. Normal. I saw the percent. There was an onside kick in an NFL game one time, probably, um, and they showed a percentage of
2: it was like ten percent or something.
0: It was like point zero 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 eight or something. It was ridiculous. What? Not really, but I really think it might have been like a percent. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it's funny. So as good as the special teams were, and as important as they were in getting the win for South Carolina, not recovering the onside kick and missing the PAT were two huge moments down the stretch (laughs) in that game.
2: And and Limbo is probably pointing to those all week long versus the the great things. Well,
0: yeah, he's listening to everyone talk about how great the special teams were on Saturday. And he's like, you kidding me? They missed up a PAT and didn't Mm -hmm. get the onside. Which, by the way, and Preston and I talked about this yesterday, but that is like just the most perfect onside kick, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, where that, you have that guy in conflict. Like, if XL jumps on the ball, that's not what you're supposed to do because it might just, like, squirt out. You never want to field it, like, as soon as it's bouncing on the ground and yeah, nah, it that, is over you. Sometimes, you know, this is very
2: rare on, on onside kick, but sometimes in sports you kind of just got to tip your hat, I feel like. <laughs> and... That was a perfectly executed. A lot of times, guys can't get the high bounce anymore, mm-hmm. and his had the roll than the high bounce, which you're looking for. Uh, yeah, man, that that was impressive. That was probably one of the better onside kicks I've I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. Uh, do y'all know? Because Pete will occasionally join Marcus and Clayton in the coordinator availability, but not every week. Do y'all know if he's going to be available tomorrow? Have y'all seen yet? I have not. Okay. I'm just going to hope that he is, because he's got a lot to talk about, and I, I want to hear his takes. He always does. He, yeah, he, he always does. He, even if there's nothing going on, he will. Um, 803-404-6100, I want to get back to some of Wes and Chris's observations from the game, but we'll go out to the Love Chevy phone line first and hear from Joe. What's up, Joe?
1: What's up, fellas? Enjoy the show.
0: What's up,
1: Joe? Hey, man. Uh, hey, uh, not much. Uh, yeah, that on kick, man. I bet Beamer had them in the film room the next day looking at that, because that was... Uh, <laughs> That's exactly how you want to attempt it every time. That was uh, nerve-wracking, to say the least. But uh, another thing on that uh, but that drive before, I don't know if y'all noticed, uh, Jimbo, at one point, man, he let a lot of time run off the clock without using one of those timeouts, which was nice for us. But um, that's not what I called about. I called about just kind of the learning process of winning. You know, every team, I don't care if you're Georgia, Alabama, you know every team goes into a season having to establish some kind of chemistry and I think we're starting to get that identity now on offense but uh it's easy to forget Shane Beamer's only coached in 20 games as a head coach and and these guys we haven't won a lot around here I mean the guys that are juniors and seniors on this team haven't haven't hardly won at all so I think it's you know uh, patience is because it's definitely a learning process to win I mean and We've done a really good job in in the close games we've been in. But uh, that was a little more than I wanted. But but if we keep heading down this road, I think we'll be fine. I just think we have to remind everybody that, you know, no matter what team. I mean, programs that are established, obviously, that's kind of built in. Winning's kind of built into that. And you learn to put teams away and that kind of thing. But we're still learning those things, you know, and, and there's a lot that goes into that. That's the beauty of sports is every game's different. But as it goes on, you get in those similar moments of down three, up three, and that kind of thing. So I want to you guys' thoughts on that, man. Enjoy the show. Y'all have a good week.
0: Really appreciate the call, Joe, and a, and a really good point. And honestly, more than offense, more than defense, more than special teams, that Carolina has been able to win two close games on the back of late offensive drives and defensive stops against teams that have historically had Carolina's number, especially in those kinds of games. Is is the biggest reason that beating Kentucky and Texas a like you, like getting to five wins is great, but you're exactly right. Learning how to win and learning how to win those kinds of games on the road, at home, in the conference, that's it. Well, I you
2: know we've talked about this, but I I think uh, this goes back to the point of being able to go out there and perform during a night game at Williams Bryce Stadium, where um you know sure th- this game wasn't like for the sec east this wasn't like national um you know aspirations here but as far as these guys this group this team beamer's roster um you know it it was a huge game feel and i think we have seen uh we talked about it over and over we don't have to go back to it but we've seen over the last five six seven years south carolina go out there against beatable teams and it's one of those Things where you can just fill it in the stadium that the fans are ready like they want to will their team to victory and sometimes especially in the must-champ era it was it didn't feel like south carolina was necessarily the worst team roster wise it was just they did not perform in those moments so for me it's to go out there in that moment stay even kill enough that you do thrive off of that environment but you don't lose your head mm. um Played well, obviously started fast, but then, you know, I I thought the final sort of drive, the final scoring drive for the offense uh, when they really needed it, like you could feel that that early lead had all but evaporated. It it felt like if A&M got the ball back there, still only down three, Mm -hmm. that it might be that Carolina was about to get their heart broken. And, um, you know, maybe it doesn't play out like that, but you'd much rather – be the aggressor, go down there, score again. This is when they made it, um, you know, 30 to 21 is the the drive I'm talking about. And um, you always want to for your offense to do that as opposed to having to put it on your defense several times down the stretch. And uh, I thought that was – I thought they started the game. The way they started the game, I should say, was a step forward and the way they ended the game. Even there's a little kind of hold your breath moment there um, was something to build on as well. And that drive that Wes is referencing is an eight-play,
3: 80-yard drive, and you run the ball seven times. Mm, and took over
0: five minutes off the clock. Yep. Yeah,
3: and you have a 21-yard, you know, pass to Josh Van. But other than that, you ran the ball the other seven times. So, I mean, again, we we can take that and we could say, well, oh well, why didn't they do that earlier in the game? And, and blah blah blah. They did it when it counted, which is a lot more than we've seen in the past. Right? Mm-hmm. The the last few games against A and M is about 100. Per, you know a hundred point deficit combined, and then some of these other games like we we've been talking we talked in the lead up to this game about the twenty seventeen Kentucky game or pick a Florida game <laughs> you know several years ago there there was more than one where they would get a lead and blow it, right? You start fast and then you blow it. They did not do that, and so that you know to me is is a step in the right direction here.
0: I think so. I want to come back. The, the idea of learning how to win is interesting, and, and I wonder if the seeds, or, or rather the breadcrumbs, had been laid for this already, and now the team's just starting to, or maybe it's just me starting to wise up to it. Maybe the team is really tapping into something here, but I think that's an interesting idea, so I appreciate the call, Joe. 803 6100 We'll get into a few more thoughts on Carolina, Texas A&M, the idea of learning how to win, and I'll get Wes and Chris's thoughts on what was a big recruiting weekend for South Carolina next.
4: It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Firemen, with Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell on the home of the Gamecocks, 107.5 The Game.
0: 11.35, Tuesday morning. Welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour here on 107.5 The Game. Pearson, Wes, Chris here with you, talking Carolina, Texas A&M, sort of residual thoughts haven't had a chance to get too, too granular. And actually, this is funny. I'm just now seeing this text also from an unnamed texter. Uh, A critical moment that we talked about off the air yesterday. I haven't seen as many people, or at least we haven't had as much feedback on the show, on the text line, on the phone line, to this effect. Y'all don't even have the text line open, but you know exactly what this text is.
2: Yes, I've, I've been wanting to talk about this. How do you know? You don't even know what the text is. The text is about the end-of-game decision to go for it on fourth and short instead of kicking the field goal.
0: Thoughts on Beamer's decision to forego the chip shot field goal Ooh, late yeah. and go for it on fourth down? Great job, Wes. I've been wanting to talk about this, for real. What do you think?
2: Um, So I, I actually texted Will Helms, and I was like, can you give me – an analytics um answer on this just so i can make sure i'm not completely off and the analytics first of all whether you believe in them or not um i think they're a good guide the analytics say it is quite literally a toss-up so at the point that south carolina um makes that decision it is a 99 percent chance that they're going to win the game whether they kick it or whether they go for it that's that's not until you get to the two outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you make the field goal, here, here's the where it gets interesting. If you make the field goal, the percentage is still 99 point whatever. I'm sure it goes up a mm-hmm. little bit.
0: Because they'll get the ball back.
2: Exactly. If you make the first down, the percentage um, goes up to essentially 100%. Yeah. Um, the analytics had South Carolina's chances of making the first down, at like 66% on that fourth and one. And I, I don't know how deep that goes into mm-hmm. the two teams and their success. I, I don't know. I personally, if it's a if it's a coin toss anyway, as far as which one you should do, I like being aggressive. I like the message it sends. Like, guys, we can get one yard and put this whole thing to bed and it's over with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, somebody even made a, a pretty good point. Jimbo didn't even call the timeout on the first set of these downs. Yeah, yeah. So it almost felt like he waved the flag. Generally, that's a sign of like, all right, if you're not – he, they had all their timeouts when this mm-hmm. uh, drive started. That's almost like a you waved the flag.
0: So Well, then I, when, he even, when he did start calling the timeouts, I think he didn't call the timeout on the first down play. He called it on the second and third and I guess was trying well, to save one for the offense maybe. Well, he,
2: he called it on – after the second, second down. And right. then on third was when Marshawn went oh, out of bounds. Yes. And you yep. you yes. think you think he has the first down. From my angle, it looked like he had I thought, it. I, I guess he didn't. Did. Um, I, I wonder if he thought he had it. it I don't, looks like he, I don't he, he think he would have.
0: Sauntered out of bounds. Yeah, I don't yeah. think
2: he would have even gone out of bounds mm-hmm. if he didn't think he had the first down. Um,
0: yeah, but, actually, sorry to interrupt, but we just got that from Michael. It says A&M never should have had the ball anyway. Marshawn Lloyd got robbed on that third down spot. But continue.
2: Yeah, so... Um, so It was such a weird sequence anyway. But if you – and I had – there were people on our Facebook arguing. They were like, if you kick the field goal, you're up two scores. Well, you're already up two scores. Now, if you kick the field goal, you force them to score two touchdowns. But there's only – they took over with a minute and six seconds left. So really scoring a touchdown, a field goal, and getting the onside – is such a long shot even at that point like Carolina's chances even not making the even not making the fourth down I think you're still at 98% or 99% of winning the game so really the my the interesting thing about it I know I'm going on and on here is that some people were sending their opinions like that's the worst call I've seen all season which is insane to me if anything it's a toss up that you could argue either way And Carolina just had a PAT blocked, and they've had bad snaps on PATs and field goals this season. The only thing, the worst thing, the only thing that loses the game for you, in my opinion, is if it gets blocked and returned, Mm -hmm. and then you have a quick score. Yeah. So... I had no problem with that. My only problem is you probably went into prevent a little too early on defense, as well as you have played at stopping the big plays to that point in
0: the game and getting after the passer. Yeah. I mean, just, I mean, just analytic. I love that you have the analytics. That's very, I think, helpful and instructive. But just like you play to win the game. I don't have that as a sounder, but that's, I I could equally make the case that that's one of the best calls that Shane Beamer has made this year. Don't give the other team the ball. Play aggressive. Play to win, not Mm. not to lose. And a field goal is playing not to lose.
3: And even using hindsight, so A&M, we know now that they at least have the ability to successfully execute an onside (laughs) kick, right? So let's say they block that. They run it back. They almost ran the PAT back. That would have been two points. This would have been six and then seven probably, right? Then you're giving them the ball back under that. It is a worst-case scenario. You're giving them the ball back after having just scored. Now they're down two. Now they have a chance to execute an onside kick, get the ball back, only need a field goal, and have two timeouts. That's that's a really bad scenario. They're at the six-yard line. If you get even one yard, the game is over. Um, if you kick a field goal there and you get it, it's still – it's not a three-score game. It's still a two-score game. Now you're having to kick to maybe Devin A-chain. A-chain.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. I know that – G to, you know there was one that was short maybe by design but let's say he's trying to put it in end zone and let's say he kicks it a chain he runs it back for a touchdown oops you know or they have a really good return or even if they get it at the 25 on a touchback that's a difference in yardage you know it's 19 yards so i, I think it was the right call
0: i think so too uh, uh hits us in the text lines as always take the points and, JB, to that, I say that's why Will Muschamp kicked a field goal down 30-3 to against Texas A&M. Always, always take, take the point
2: points is not a mantra to live by. Nope.
0: Ever. That's okay. That's yeah. okay. JB, you're entitled to your opinion. Appreciate we the We still love you, JB. But... <laughs> yeah. I don't know who JB is. Uh, I just wouldn't want him making those decisions for my football team. Um, all right. One more text here. Excuse me. One more tweet that I think is worth mentioning as as we continue to give shout-outs you know, plaudits and criticisms. Uh, before we get to that, though, Wes, uh, we we talked about it yesterday with Buy or Sell, but Wes likes to remind everybody who to call if they need a realtor.
2: Yes, call my friend Kendall Walsh uh, with the Moore Company, 803-414-3590. work with Walsh at Gmail, at work with Walsh on Twitter, Instagram. Give her a follow right now. Um, Kendall, uh, big Gamecock fan, big fan of the show as well, and uh, she can help you the same way she helped me and my fiance, uh, get into a house. She also helped my future mother-in-law sell a house. So both sides of that can be kind of difficult to navigate right now. But uh, Kendall uh, was awesome for us. She can be the same for you. 803-414-3590. Again, uh, the Moore Company. And that is a no-obligation phone call. For those who have not bought a house before, um, You know, there's no upfront cost or anything like that. Just um, give Kendall a call if you kind of just on the fence and want to see what your options are, she can help walk you through that.
0: Jason hits us on Twitter, says, maybe the biggest part of the game overall, the defense held A&M to field goals early in the game, keeping the momentum on Carolina's side. Either one of those drives goes for a touchdown in the game. Very easily could have changed. When you told me how many plays Carolina's defense was on the field, what was it, 80 or 79? Mm-hmm. I think it was 80. 80, yep. 24 points allowed. 10 of those were short fields off Carolina turnovers deep in their own territory to be on the field for 80 plays, to be consistently getting the pressure they got to have contained uh, Devon A. Chain. I get that this is a bad Texas A&M offense. Even with that in mind, considering all those circumstances, this might be the best defensive effort that Carolina's had this year. And it might not be close.
3: I think they followed the formula to to a T of what they needed to do. South Carolina's defense isn't dominant enough where you're going to say, okay, it's just going to be a three and out fest, you know, but they needed to be able to get, you know, contain a chain. He got some yards, sure, uh, but he didn't have the 75-yard run. He mm-hmm. had a 30-yard run was his longest. He had a 15-yard touchdown run. Aside from that, it was, I think, all single digits, and they were able to limit him. So they gave up some yards between the 20s, but they're able to get A&M into some third downs. Obviously, a huge turning point was being able to get, you know, an interception of Haynes King get the fumble and the miscommunication, get them behind the chains, which the crowd, you know, can get, can have an assist for that one. Um, And they're able to get off the field, you know, when it counted. Um, Now, offensively, that limited South Carolina's possession somewhat. Offensively, they had some disappointing moments. The most disappointing moments for me, for the South Carolina offense, was that they had two drives that were exactly one play in their own territory that resulted in a turnover. And as you said, Ten a And M points off that. Mm-hmm. If they don't have those plays, we're probably having a different conversation even about the offense. And so that's something they've got to correct going forward. But yeah, I, I thought it was a really strong defensive performance. Another game where they don't have a sack, but when you go and you actually watch the game, the defensive line played extremely well. I thought and won that battle up front.
0: I cannot believe they didn't get a sack. I I, I haven't seen the number. I don't. Pro Football Focus uh, probably has this. I'm I'm guessing that Wegman and King got hit 20 times in that game on 80 plays. They got like,
2: hit hard. Too.
0: They got, like, they were getting smashed several times. Um that that was the best of the pass rush has looked. The, the the pass rush looked more consistent on Saturday than it did the last game when they got 6 sacks, which is which is weird. You know, I'm not going to say sacks don't matter but Wes you're making this point a couple of weeks ago that sacks are not the only metric of affecting the quarterback I think Saturday was a great example I hate it for the guys individually that they didn't get the sacks because you know they want the sacks but oh, yeah. I mean it was it was dominant up front for South Carolina 803 404 6100 appreciate that Jason yeah shout out again to the defense it doesn't feel like it 24 points 400 yards but you're on the field for 80 plays the offense spots Texas A&M basically 10 points I thought a really really solid all-around effort from South Carolina defensively. Uh, speaking of, I know it's going to be a big crowd on hand again this weekend for the Missouri game. It's a 4 o'clock kick, still at home, though. And if you would like a chance to go, I don't know if it's sold out yet or approaching a sellout, but, you know, winning it will tickets. Be, yeah, so, sure. it, it, it might be either way. Winning tickets on the radio is more fun than having to pay for them. So if you want to win a pair of tickets to go see the Missouri game this weekend, just be caller number 5. Right now, call 803 404 6100, and I will give caller number five a pair of tickets to go see South Carolina and Missouri this weekend at Williams Bryce Stadium. Four o'clock kick, 803 404 6100. Good luck.
4: It's the Gamecocks Central Takeover Hour,
0: presented by Firehouse Subs,
4: founded by Fireman with Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell on the home of the Gamecocks. 1075, the game.
0: Don't forget our high school football scoreboard show every Friday night from 9 until midnight right here on 107.5 The Game. Tommy Moody, Justin Hall bringing you all of the high school action from around the state of South Carolina. Scores, stats, post game interviews with coaches. If you are a high school football fan, that uh, is where, where you need to be glued every Friday night from 9 until midnight. We have it for you all season long right here on 107.5 The Game. Welcome back in to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour Pearson, Wes, Chris here with you. A few more thoughts on Carolina, Texas a and uh, I, I feel like I still have more thoughts on the game. Still things I want to get to. Maybe we'll let it spill over into Wednesday a little bit because there were a lot of things that stood out and were worth discussing uh, about this game. But I have to spend a little bit of time here. Both of you have written about the big recruiting weekend that it was for South Carolina. Obviously, the atmosphere speaks for itself. The result certainly helps. And in fact, the other big recruiting weekend that Carolina had was the Georgia game, which could not have been a more different result on the field. Did you hear a dramatically different report from the recruits that were in the stands Saturday night? Um, You know, the Georgia game still actually
3: went well because they had a bunch of guys on and we won't spend a lot of time on this point, but recruits don't only take into account, you know, what happened during the game. Now, obviously, you will not be surprised to hear that the environment was better on Saturday night for a longer amount of time. It was a night game. South Carolina got off to a hot start. They led the game the entire time, So, and they finished the game. So from that standpoint, it was certainly a better experience. The, uh, the visitor list was really impressive. I mean, you're talking about not only a bunch of the 2023 commitments, but some targets, you know, including a couple from other SEC schools that they're, looking at flipping from the 2023 class, but then into 2024, 2025, and beyond. I mean, for example, they had the nation's top safety out of for Georgia, K.J. Bolden, number five player in the entire country for that class. He was on campus, um, multiple four stars, you know, on the lines of scrimmage and and all over the place. So uh, reviews, which we're continuing to roll out this week on Gamecock Central, have been really positive overall, Um, you know, whether it was the atmosphere, that was something that a lot of the prospects talked about, getting a chance to talk with the coaches, um,
2: and then what, you know, just what they think of of the direction that Shane Beamer has the program going in. Yeah, Chris, I think um, it's always interesting uh, how you want to frame it up, and I would frame it up like this. uh, Big picture, 2024 class, which is your juniors right now, this is when you're kind of setting the stage for those guys to consider you more Um, you know, later on, just a huge list of guys um, that are major prospects already. Then I think for 2023, which is seniors right now, you kind of want to focus on a few individuals. And for me, uh, Khalifa Keith is a name South Carolina fans probably are going to want to know now. He's a running back from Birmingham, uh, Parker High School, committed to Kentucky, but has seemed very open to hearing what other schools have to say, namely, Tennessee and South Carolina uh, Jody Wright has some connections to that school so South Carolina I think uh, kind of likes where they are right now coming off of that visit and, and then someone that uh, Chris has written about quite a bit would be uh, terrence love um kind kind of like a a Nicky Manwarrie in that he's a little bit of a DB but um, has the frame could have could end up being a linebacker
0: kind of like and, nick Nicky in that he's a freshman all-American
2: well that that would be the uh, the best case scenario there but um, Chris, it has seemed like Terrence Love was, was already, I think, intrigued by South Carolina, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, other schools are going to be looking at that Auburn commit list and, mm-hmm. uh, and trying to poach. So, uh, Terrence Love is probably the guy to keep an eye on there for South Carolina.
0: Well, yeah. so let me, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, let me ask you this because, uh, and you've made the point before that individual game results don't matter as much as... Everything else, you know, relationships and fit, and and so many things that go into recruiting. But I I said before the season started, Shane Beamer has done a fantastic job of parlaying early success and excitement into some early recruiting success. But the results are going to have to follow. Carolina is five and two. They're probably going to be favored in their next three football games. So you know, this is where you this is where you put your money where your mouth is. Is that making an impact right away? Like some were, were there guys that were maybe on the fence still for the class of 2023 that have seen Shane Beamer and co start to put some results together and are leaning more Carolina. And are they getting more conversations with 2024 guys than would have been expected at this point in time?
3: Uh, it's a couple, it's kind of a different conversation with those. I mean, 2024 is that has always, this has been kind of consistent since Shane Beamer got hired. Sounds kind of crazy. Cause that was a long, that was a while back. Now you always kind of pointed to the 24 class saying, that's the one where they have the longest runway because you remember, you know, no summer camps when Beamer first got there, recruiting was shut down. You need a long time to illustrate progress in your program, build relationships. And so the 24 class has the potential. We don't, we don't know. There's only two guys committed right now. There's a lot of ball left to play this year. It has the potential to have the highest star power that we've seen under Shane Beamer. Yeah. You know, but they're, they're going to have to close on some guys, um, I think a lot of those guys have been kind of on the hook, so to speak. And by that, I don't mean like there's 10 guys like almost ready to commit. Mm -hmm. They just have a lot of guys really interested. And so the progress that they made on the field, I do think is helping because when the coaches are telling them about it, they're actually illustrating it on the field. 23 class, you know, is similar, even though their timeline has moved up. So someone like Khalifa Keith, if you were two and five, do you have a chance at Flipping him from Kentucky, I don't think the odds are as good at that. Terrence Love, you know, same deal. He likes Auburn a lot, loves the atmosphere, but the coaching staff is in turmoil. If South Carolina's 2-5, and do they have as good of a shot of getting him to campus, eventually luring him towards a flip? Probably not. So I do think the on-field results are certainly helping and the progress that they're showing in moving the program forward.
0: We all obviously do a great job covering that. Plenty more on Central, like you said, rolling out throughout the course of the week. So if you guys want more on the recruiting weekend for South Carolina and what the rest of the season holds, just check out Wes and Chris there on Gamecock Central. They'll be back tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, probably not talking anymore, a and Maybe a few notes, but uh, starting to turn the page, starting to look ahead to Missouri. Shane Beamer will start to preview them as well at his weekly press conference this afternoon, which we will have for you here on 107.5 The Game. But that is all we have time for, for Wes, for Chris, I am Pearson, and the halftime show is coming up next. let's talk Halloween for a second.
4: What is your favorite Halloween memory? One time I saw Nightmare Before Christmas performed live at the Hollywood Bowl. Walking with your kids.
1: It felt so magical. And after they've got their candy and they walk away. So pure. You. The dad inside the house is handing you a beer.
0: My dad, when I get home, he would have me like empty out all the candy to make sure that it's safe. And it wasn't until I was about 35 that I realized, what the
4: f***? He was just eating my candy. Rude. Oh.
3: What's your favorite Halloween costume?
4: One year, I was Matthew McConaughey's character from Days to Confused.
2: One year, I was like, I would like to be roadkill. The
0: Halloween costume was a plastic smock and then a really scratchy plastic mask. I mean, you would style it if you had one of those.
1: Aquaman, the plastic mask cutting into your eyes, and then you get that little hole in the mouth to breathe through all night long. What's your favorite Halloween candy? What's
4: your favorite candy, man?
2: Anything Reese's, Snickers bars. It's all the food groups. You got
4: it's the meals. You've got caramel. Yes. Candy corn. I Me love too. Candy corn. Wait, really? I'm one of the small percent of people who actually really enjoys candy corn. It
3: gets a bad rap. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween from the Cumulus Podcast Network. Make sure to subscribe and follow us at youtube.com
4: slash Podcast. Candy corn is terrible. It's atrocious. It shouldn't be allowed. It's not a candy. Ooh, Ooh. Happy Halloween.